And good morning. good morning. I want to read to you from God's Word. I'm reading 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. The Bible says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you might be suffering, as though something strange were happened to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, Christian. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's harder for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. That's from 1 Peter chapter 4, and it fits with our theme today in walking through the persecuted church as there's a letter written to Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, and so this will all begin to unfold later in our service, but recognizing that we bear the name of Christ as Christians, and how amazing that really is. What a privilege that is, and a, a privilege to come here and worship the name of Christ together. Will you pray with me as we begin our service? Father God, we thank you so much that we can come before you and call upon the name of Jesus as we worship together in this place today. Father, we ask for your blessing and for your favor as we dig into the scriptures, may your spirit illuminate things in the word that will speak to our hearts. Help us, God, as we worship together today, Lord. I pray that, that as we worship, our hearts would be in the right place. and Our posture would be that of worship. And Lord, this morning we lift up LifeGate as they continue to worship this morning. As they're wrapping their service up, we pray for your spirit to guide and lead. Give Pastor Niles favor as he's, as he's preaching your word, Father. I pray that that message would go on good soil. And Father, as we continue to worship you now, meet us here. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My message this morning, as we continue in the Letters to the Seven Churches series in the book of Revelation, if you want to turn there, it's Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from verses 8 through 11. The church I'm going to be speaking on today would be the church in the city of Smyrna. And that city today is modern-day Izmir, Turkey. And there's a map that will be on the screen here. That's kind of a, here's a look at what it looks like in comparison to the Mediterranean Sea and, you know, Israel and Rome and all of those things. You get a little bit of a picture where that red dot is. That's where Izmir, Turkey would be. We'll zoom in on that region, though, and you can see that they actually would be a port city with the Aegean Sea. So they're a harbor city where they bring in all kinds of goods. So you can imagine the kind of wealth that this city had. It was known as the crown of Asia, as it was the most beautiful city in Asia Minor. It was a center of science and a center of medicine. And it was always on the winner's side in Roman wars. So they had a very strong loyalty to Roman rule, even to the point where they would worship emperors. 
And so to this day, you can go to Izmir, Turkey, and you can see the remains or the rubble of a couple of temples, one being to Tiberius, and you'll see a picture there, the temple of Tiberius, still standing today, and then another one to Hadrian. You can go there and you can see that today in Izmir, Turkey. You know, the thing about when you, when you go through Scripture, I love it when you can see stuff like this, that this stuff still exists today. It, this isn't just put all together and just run with it, believe it, you know, but like there's actual uh, factual places that still exist and the things that they were dealing with and having to work through. So along with the worship of man, as in emperors, there were also a number of Jews who were very hostile toward the followers of Christ in this church. And it's a large part because these Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah. And so because these Christians claimed Christ as Messiah, the Jews began to speak unkindly about these followers of Christ. And you'd see slander enter in. This church dealt with a lot of tribulation. There was financial struggles. There was the slander, people speaking against them, and there was even death. There was severe persecution over this church. About 60 years after this particular letter was written, there's a pastor of the church of Smyrna named Polycarp. And this individual, when he was 86 years old, he was buried alive because he refused to worship Caesar. So just kind of settle yourselves into this church atmosphere for a moment and you realize the intense persecution that was taking place. Smyrna is the Greek word for myrrh. If you recall that word, myrrh is a perfume that's used to anoint dead bodies. And I think it's rather fitting as this church's faithfulness goes out to us like an aroma of what it looks like to truly follow Christ, even in the midst of hardship. And so with that foundation, let's begin reading now from Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Smyrna, write this. These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your works. I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews, but they're not, but rather they're a synagogue or a congregation of Satan. That's some pretty strong words. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. This is one of those churches, as there's seven in the book of Revelation that are addressed. This one comes out with not a whole lot of comments. This is your issue. There's two churches, and it's interesting, I get to preach on both of them that didn't have the issue. But this church didn't have anything that, that Jesus was calling out, if you will, saying this is a problem and you need to fix it. But their issue that they're facing each and every day is the intense persecution even unto death. And so here Jesus takes a moment to commend this church, but then encourages them, telling them, look, 
You've got to be faithful even to the point where it would take your life. In verse 9, Jesus says, I know your poverty, but yet you are rich. I think that's very interesting. And I ask this question, how can this be? How could they be poverty-stricken yet rich? How could you be in poverty financially but still be rich? I'm just going to leave that question open. Any answers to that? How could you be rich yet you're financially poor? Eternal life, faith. Faith in whom? Jesus. That's right. So we, we see a little an example here of, of what true wealth looks like. A true picture of spiritual wealth. What does this look like for us as a country here in America? Would you consider us a rich nation? If I asked you how you felt the temperature of the American church is right now, what would you say? Lukewarm? Is the needle moving in the right direction? John F. Kennedy has a quote that says, This country cannot afford to be materially rich and yet spiritually poor. Sadly, I'm not sure if we've heeded that advice. It was just last week I read about the potential bill that was going to be passed in the state of New York. And if you're not living under a rock, you've probably realized that they actually passed that. And so now a baby can be aborted all the way up until nine months. On the same day, an Iowa judge overturned the current ruling of the heartbeat bill here in our own state. This is just a glimpse of our temperature. You know, it, it's so sickening to me, I don't even know how to put it into words. I don't know how you felt this week about some of these things. And I mentioned a little bit in the Sunday school class, and I, I just want to sum what I set up in that class right with just simply this. Let's put our, our feeling and our emotion towards what took place, let's put that into action. So be even more intense with your prayer. If you've got resources, use them to help these places that have the culture of life, these pro-life clinics that are helping women understand what it is that they're walking through and helping them to make a decision that would be in the benefit of the child. Let's get involved and let's not just kind of sit on the sidelines in frustration. But another thing you can do is there's a petition. Brady sent me the link this morning. You can actually petition the ruling that just took place out in New York. And we'll send that out if that's of interest to you. But in the midst of that, I think, how can Christians respond to when you're staring evil straight in the face? And instead of just talking, let's put our, our words into action and get behind the culture of life. Let's change the culture. Let's take a look in the mirror. Do we ever get caught up in worldly passions? I just kind of picked on people that I didn't agree with their decisions this week, but if I look in the mirror, I'm seeing someone who's completely capable of sin. 
and getting caught up in the worldly passions. I don't know if you've ever got caught up in that. How about on a financial end? Have you ever felt those pressures? From the same man, Polycarp, who was killed, I have a quote of his that I'd like to read. He quotes 1 Timothy 6, and he says, The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Then he says this, Knowing, therefore, that what we brought, that as we brought nothing into this world, so neither may we carry anything out. So let us arm ourselves with the, with the armor of righteousness. I don't know how much money you have in the bank, but I tell you what, it won't do any good in your casket. You can pass it on as an inheritance to your family, but the greatest thing that you can pass on is a relationship with Christ. I've been in pastoral ministries long enough to see how families feud and there's tension when there's money left behind. But I've also seen in situations where somebody who had absolutely nothing to give their family in a worldly sense had so many things going for them spiritually. So what really matters on your end? James 2 verse 5 speaks of God choosing the poor in this world to be rich in faith. And so my question to you would be, are you rich in faith? I'm all for followers of Christ having resources and being able to use those for the kingdom of God and being able to advance the kingdom. I think that's a part of, of how we, we operate in ministry. We're going to need resources. But do not neglect the emphasis of where we are spiritually. Some of us need that reminder today to keep things in their proper place of focus. So here's a question for you. Do you think about advancing God's kingdom as much as you do your own? Kind of an introspective question there, just searching your own heart. Do you think about advancing God's kingdom as much as you do your own kingdom? One of those kingdoms matter in the end. Only one. In verse 9, Jesus calls the gathering of these Jews a synagogue of Satan. That's pretty intense. But what it tells me is this description of these unbelieving Jews, this shows us that simple rejection of Christ is a tool of Satan. It's as much of a tool as emperor worship. Because if you're not for Christ, you're against him. Bottom line. And so what does this mean for us today? And I just started pondering on this. And you might be listening to this message and you've simply not surrendered your life to Christ. You must realize that that rejection of Christ, it's a tool of Satan. Simple rejection of Christ is a tool used by the enemy of, of God. Do you believe... We live in a culture that that word believe can be very fluffy when it comes to Christianity. Am I right on that? I mean, oh, boy, yeah, I believe and, you know. But the reality of it is, is being a follower of Christ demands life surrender. Being completely sold out for Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. I'm not sure if our culture understands what that looks like. And do we really know what faithfulness unto God really means? We get a glimpse of that in verse 10 because Jesus says, Do not fear. 
be faithful unto what? Unto death. A martyr is someone who suffers persecution and death for what they believe or what they've refused to bow down and believe in. And so martyrdom is, is simply put, it's the death and suffering of a martyr. And this church in Smyrna was facing this head on. I mean, you think about it. After this service, you'll all go out, you'll have a nice meal, we'll laugh, we'll have some good times together. But I want you to imagine what it would be like is as soon as you walked out these doors, your life is in jeopardy because of what you believe. The seriousness of that right there is sobering. I think it would put things in perspective so fast that you're either, I'm all for Jesus or I don't want any part of that. I think we can dance around with this a little bit in our culture because we're comfortable. We have a lot of ease. Yes, there's things in our political world right now that are disgusting and they're polarizing and it's just one of those things you think, man, there's people who don't agree with me. Okay, well imagine if your life was on the line. I don't know if we have a perspective of that like this church did or that even churches that are existing today in other nations might have. You really have to be all in if you're putting your life on the line for Christ. There's no dancing around there. There's not much room for wishy-washy Christianity if it means that you could lead to death. You're either in or you're out. You know, there's something spiritually refining about that kind of commitment. And Peter draws that out in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to turn there with me, keep your finger on Revelation chapter 2. But if you go to verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter 4, Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I just think that's an interesting verse. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather they live for the will of God. Peter's not saying that people who are willing to die for their faith are sinless. That's not the point he's trying to make, but what he is trying to make is that for those who are that committed, their struggle with sin, I mean, if you're willing to die to yourself to the point where my life, it can be gone... I think you've, you've sort of uh, graduated, if you will, from some of the petty things that maybe we struggle with here in America. Are you, are you hearing me on that? So there is a bit of a refining process that happens through persecution and suffering. And I don't know if we really know what that looks like here stateside. And my hope in this message today is we start to gain a little bit more perspective on, and I'll just be straight out, how petty we can be as an American church. Perspective is, is huge for us to gain as a church that has so much to grow in. Now, if you go back to uh, Revelation, Jesus says, do not fear and to be faithful even unto death. And that's because there's a reward that's coming. 
I like how Jesus gives us that incentive. In verse 10, he says, you'll be given the crown of life. You'll be given the crown of life. Now, there are crowns mentioned throughout the Bible, and there's, I don't know, some people think that there's several crowns that are able to be achieved when you get to heaven, and personally, I see maybe it just as one. And so, with the crown of life, you'll also see in passages like 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul calls it the crown of righteousness. And Paul says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering unto God, and the time of my death is near. Paul knew he was about to be killed. And Paul says, I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Maybe you've heard this passage before. And he says, and now the prize awaits for me, that is, the crown of righteousness. That's some neat imagery. He says, this is the crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me. It's for all those who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. There's a crown that's awaiting those who are faithful with Christ. That word picture would be familiar for those readers in the early church as ancient Greek games as they would compete in competition, they would then move into like the award ceremony. And so this morning I brought, well yesterday Lance and I brought in a podium. And I I want you to imagine a crown that they would put on those who were competing, kind of like a wreath crown. Uh, One would have leaves on it. You can just picture this. and, And the winner would receive the crown. And so imagine if that's the world you live in and that's the picture when you flip on ESPN and Smyrna and you see these people being crowned with this, imagine the word pictures you're getting when you see this crown of life. That that registered with them. And so I wanted to recreate a little bit of that picture because the reality of what they were seeing, sometimes I think we can blow right through this stuff and not think about the significance of it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but, but we an imperishable. So that word picture, you see how that comes to life for his readers And in James chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And afterwards, afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Joshua Thurm, will you come up here for a second, buddy? I want to recreate something that would maybe give us a little bit of a glimpse of what they experience, but I also want it to to give us a taste of what we may experience, okay? So, Joshua, I want us to just picture Joshua is at the gates of heaven, and he's about to enter in because he has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, Joshua, in that moment, I just want us to think about what that might be like when it comes to the crown of life. So, on this podium, I want you to walk up to that third step, would you? We'll save this last one for Christ. 
okay? And so I just want you to imagine an exchange, just with me. I don't know if this is how it's exactly going to go down, but I'm going to use scripture for this particular statement. So Joshua, you bend down, and when he receives this, I want this place to erupt. I mean, like you laugh, but I'm talking standing ovation, the loudest cheer that we've ever done in this place. I want you to go nuts. I want you to go crazy. This is your moment to turn it loose, Pastor Paul, okay? Let it out. Let it go. Everybody on the count of three, when I crown him, I want you to just erupt and just let's rock this place so we can get a little taste of what that might be like, all right? Bend down for just a second. Can you imagine the words, well done, my good and faithful servant? One, two, three. Here we go. Awesome. You guys may be seated. Thank you for creating that. You can come down, Joshua. You know, his face, he's like kind of embarrassed right now. But in that moment, I think we're not going to be like, yeah, look at all that I've accomplished. You know, he didn't puff out his chest. It's kind of like, oh, man. Like, we are standing there because of what Christ has done for us. That was a cool moment, wasn't it? They were cheering for you, man. I hope we remember that, and I hope you remember that, because I think that imagery will help keep us focused in that perspective. I need to be faithful, because someday a reward's coming. So, thank you. Will you give him a hand again as he heads back? Thanks, buddy. The Greek word translated crown is Stephanos. And that's the source of the name we get for Stephen. And if you know your Bible, that is the first Christian recorded in Scripture that was killed for his faith. Do not fear. Be faithful unto death. In verse 11, Jesus says that you'll not be hurt by the second death. If you're wondering what that means, second death is described in Revelation 20, where those who are unbelievers will be thrown into the lake of fire. And they won't be annihilated, ceasing to exist. That is where they will be for all eternity. Those who are faithful, you'll receive the crown of life, and you will not taste the second death. At the very beginning in verse 8, Jesus says that he's the first and the last. He's the one who died and came to life. And what an encouragement it is to those who are being persecuted under the point of death, knowing that the one who holds your life has the final say over your spirit. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And to those who would be martyred for following Christ, no matter how painful the first death, you will never experience that second death, which is way more intense 
way more intense than anything that they would experience here on this earth. Eternal life awaits those who are faithful. To those who aren't serious about their faith right now, especially here in America, life might be comfortable, but it will not be comfortable at Revelation 20. You need to get serious about your faith. There's a website called Open Doors USA that speaks on persecution and highlights things for us that we can know about in these countries that, that are struggling. That's very hostile to be a believer. I mentioned Izmir, Turkey, and it's the 26th dangerous nation on the planet to be a follower of Christ. So fast forward 2,000 years, it's still a place of major hostility towards those who want to believe in Christ. And I happened to find a video here from 2013, and it's an interview of a lady named Shemsa Aida. And her husband, Neodi Aida, was a pastor in Turkey. And you're going to hear her testimony about how her husband was killed but you're going to hear her perspective of how God has sustained her through the things she's had to go through. So if you'd play that video for me. Not only do we admire your great courage to be with us under such trying circumstances, but one must wonder, after all you've been through, are you now putting yourself at risk just by talking to us in the West? Why take that risk? Ben burada e, İsa'yı yüceltmek ve Necati'yi onurlandırmak için bulunuyorum ve onun tanıklığını yukarı kaldırmak istiyorum. I'm here to glorify Christ and to give honor to Necati. Ve e, burada olmam Türkiye'de olmamdan daha riskli bir şey değil. I don't believe that my being here puts me in more risk than I am in Turkey. Çünkü Türkiye'de kilisem e, yakılmak istendi ve Hala Hristiyanlar korkunç yalanlarla hedef olarak gösteriliyor. In recent times, my church in Turkey had an attempted burn. People tried to burn my church, and people are living with very real fears. Ve enişten birinci dereceden tehdit altında. And my brother-in-law right now is a primary target. Burada olmam, Türkiye'de olmamdan daha tehlikeli değil. It is not more dangerous for me to be here than I am uh, in Turkey. Tell us about Nejati, how he became a Christian and what kind of man he was. Nejati 12 yıl önce radikal bir Müslümandı. 12 years ago Nejati was a very fanatic Muslim. Ve İsa Mesih'in peşin sevgisi ve kurtarışıyla karşılaşınca dinin yükünü bırakıp İsa'ya iman etti. When he encountered Christ, he gave up the burden of Islam. Ve İsa'ya iman eder etmez ailesi onu terk etti. And as soon as he became a believer in Jesus, his family abandoned him. Daha sonra İncil dağıttığı için tutuklandı. Later, because he was distributing Bibles, he was arrested. Ve bir ay içeride kaldı. And for one month, he was imprisoned. Necati Türkiye'nin üçte birine, üçte ikisine İncil dağıtmış bir insan. Nejati is a person who has distributed Bibles to two-thirds of Turkey. Ve birçok insanla İsa'yı paylaştı. And he has shared Jesus with many people. Ve sonunda İsa'yı duyma şansları olmayan bölgelere gitmeye arzu duydu. During his last days, his desire was to go to those places where people hadn't heard of Christ. 
Ve böylece Malatya'ya gittik. And for that reason we chose to move to Malatya. Ama Necati'nin kişiliği için diyecek bir şey bulmak çok kolay çünkü o İsa'ya gerçekten benzeyen bir adamdı. It is quite easy for me to find a word to describe Necati because he was so much like Jesus. Ben Necati'de İsa'yı gördüm. I saw Jesus in Necati. Ve kaybım çok büyük. And I have a great loss. Ve Tanrı'ya soruyorum neden en değerli varlığımı aldın diye. And I ask God why did you take what was most valuable to me? Ama onu daha çok değerli yapmak için diyor Rab. But God says to make him even more valuable. Ona şehit olma ayrıcalığı verdi. And I gave him the privilege of being a martyr. Onunla onur duyuyorum. And I find great honor in him. As difficult as this must be, can you tell us a little bit about what happened on April 18th that ultimately cost your husband and the two other men their lives? Necati was the target of the murderers. Bu yüzden Almanya'dan gelmesini beklediler. For that reason they waited for him to return from Germany. Ve Necati Almanya'dan geldikten iki gün sonra ofise gitti. And after two days after Necati returned from Germany, he went to the office. Ofiste Necati Uğur ve Tilman vardı. In the office were Necati Uğur and Tilman. Ve sonra iki katil geldi. Later two murderers came. Necati onları tanıyordu çünkü onlarla İncil çalışması yapıyordu. Necati knew them because he had been studying the Bible with them. Ve onlara İsa'nın Yahuda'ya katlandığı gibi katlanıyordu. And he was accepting them just as Jesus had accepted uh, Judas. Ardından onlar üç arkadaşları daha ilgileniyor diye onları çağırdılar. And then later they uh, they chose to bring three more friends. Ve kısa zamanda İsa'dan paylaşıldığı için bıçaklarını çıkardılar. And because they were discussing Jesus in that office, those men decided to pull out their knives. Ve Necati'li diğer kardeşleri bağladılar. And they tied up Necati and the other brothers. Onları yerde tekmelediler. And they kicked them on the floor. Ve iki saat boyunca onlara işkence yaptılar. And for two hours straight they tortured them. Müslümanlığa geri dönsünler diye. They, uh, they challenged them to return to Islam. Ama onlar sadık kaldıkları için onları sırtlarından bıçakladılar. But because they were remaining faithful, they started to uh, cut them, cut their backs. Necati'nin önce boğazını çamaşır ipiyle sıktılar, öldürmek istediler o şekilde. First of all, they tried to choke, choke him and kill him by tying him uh, at his neck. Ve daha sonra onu boynundan bıçaklayıp iki yerinden kestiler. And later they uh, they tried to cut his neck and cut his neck at two points. Ama onlar sonuna kadar sadık kalıp Tanrı'nın elinden yaşam tacını aldılar. But they remained faithful until the very end so that they could take the crown from God. Ya yani onlarla onu görüyorum. The crown from God and I find great honor in them. Yani Rab için yaşamış ve Rab için ölmüş olmaları büyük bir kazanç. For me it is a great gain the fact that they lived for Christ and died for Christ. Bunu büyük acıma rağmen söyleyebilirim. And I can say this despite my great pain. Çünkü buna inanıyorum. Because I believe this. I think a video like that
is sobering. And it, uh, I know I said this once before, but it's like we, we here in America are so comfortable. What's our response to something like that? And as I sat on that, I want to give us a few things. First off, it gives us perspective. If that doesn't give you perspective, then I don't know what will. One night, Brady and I had separate vehicles at her parents, and we drove back to the house, and we were both listening to the same radio station, and there was a missionary that was being interviewed. And he was talking about that when he goes to these countries and he's meeting with the fellow believers there, you know, they pray for the Christians in America. He said, you know, Christians in America pray for these Christians overseas and that they pray that God would give them the strength to die for Christ because of the situations that they're in, the intense persecution, the suffering. And he said, it is incredibly sobering when you're over there and you're praying with these believers and their prayer is that the church in America, that Christians in America would just simply live for Christ. Another thing I think this develops in us and our response is perseverance. So how's your day going? Can we suck it up a little bit? Can we stop making excuses for things? I mean, whatever it is the Spirit's laying on you right now, I'm not saying specific stuff. I'm just saying in general, we can kind of get comfortable and cozy. That can be a very scary place as a follower of Christ. Lastly, and probably the most important thing we can do is to be in, in prayer for these churches. Billy Graham's website mentions five ways that we can pray for the persecuted church. Number one is pray for those who are in the midst of persecution. Number two, pray for those who are doing the persecuting. Number three, pray for the families and loved ones of those being persecuted. Number four, pray that churches would rise up even in the midst of what they're all walking through. And lastly, pray that world leaders would do all that they can to fight this persecution. Each week in the month of February, we're going to bring forward different countries where Christians are being severely persecuted. There'll be an insert in your bulletin with just some of the things that we can be praying for for these particular nations and churches. And it's our hope that through this message, and here's what's interesting, you go through February and on the 24th of February when I preach again, I'll be preaching on the church in Philadelphia, another church that had no red marks on them, but a church that Jesus encouraged because of the persecution that they were under. So this will be bookend, starting today all the way to the 24th. We will open up this message about the persecuted church again in about four weeks. But during that time, I want us to gain a deeper perspective and understanding of what Christians in this world are going through as opposed to our little bubble that we 
kind of create and we have no idea what's going on. There's an insert that'll be at the door. That insert basically walks through the five ways that I just listed with Billy Graham's website. It also lists the Open Door USA website. You can go and watch more videos like the one you just saw of these believers who are being persecuted. That's where I found that statistic that Turkey is the 26th dangerous country to live if you're a follower of Christ. There were stats on that website that says every month 255 Christians are killed, 104 are abducted, 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriages, 66 churches are attacked, and 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned. Another website is persecution.com. That would actually be the voice of the martyrs if you've ever heard of that organization. I hope we've gained perspective. I hope this is a congregation that knows what it looks like to persevere. And I hope that we're praying. And in response to this message, one of the greatest things I can end with is that if there was something that resonated with you and saying, you know what? I need to get serious about my walk with Christ. Then I want to pray with you and help you move that in the direction that it needs to go. So will you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for speaking to us. Lord, I know that you're, by your spirit, speaking into hearts right now. Lord, if there's people who are here that they've been following Christ maybe one week, maybe it's been a decade, maybe it's been several decades, but something in this message challenged them or encouraged them to say, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Give them the strength to do that, Lord. Help them to be faithful. Help us to have a perspective that there's life beyond this life, that someday we want to receive that crown of life that's talked about in the scriptures. To be able to say, I was faithful even unto death. If that's something that any of us would ever have to go through, God, I pray you'd give us the grace to stay true. Lord, we lift up these persecuted churches, these countries that are incredibly dangerous, these people who are imprisoned, these people who are beating, uh, being treated with injustice. Lord, we, we pray for your spirit to come and move into these circumstances and situations and break down the chains and the walls and the violence through the name of Jesus Christ. We lift these churches to you. I pray for Shemsa. She just shared her testimony. This was years ago, but Lord, we pray you'd still minister to her. And lastly, Father, if there's anyone listening that today they said it's time to get serious about my faith in Christ. And if that's you, I just simply ask that you'd stand right now. It's nothing to be ashamed about. While every head's bowed, eyes are closed, if that's you, you're saying, it's time to get serious. If I, if I can stand for Christ in a congregation, right? I tell you what, if you stand outside of this place, it's going to be harder. Thank you for standing. Lord, as people are standing, as people are 
considering to stand. I know you're doing a work in hearts. That's what matters. So, Father, I pray you'd speak into these hearts. And if there's anybody that says, today I want to get my relationship right with God, just simply pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I want to move in a new direction that's faithful unto you. I want to be effective for your kingdom, and I want want to have a purpose that is godly. Help me to live for you. Help me to live for you. Holy Spirit, come and fill my life with your presence and your power and help me to move in this new direction. And we thank you for this. Father, all the things that are on our hearts, Lord, we just ask that your spirit would keep talking to us. And as this ended, as he who has ears, let him hear. Help us to have spirits that are in tune to what it is that you're saying. And we thank you now, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite everybody to stand at this time. It just seems kind of disjointed to be like, and now go have food, you know, like, we're all going to be like sitting across from each other like, man, like, is your sandwich good? You know, mine is okay, I guess. You know, a message like this can be pretty sobering, and it should be. And like I said earlier, with how do we respond with the injustice that we saw this week with legislation, how do you respond with this, is to put action to the thoughts and the words that are going through your mind right now. Okay? All right. Will you lift your hands as we end the service? Father God, we thank you so much for everything that took place today. We thank you for your spirit, how you move in our lives. Resource us to be a resource. Bless us to be a blessing. Help us to be faithful unto you, to endure the things that may come our way this week. Help us to persevere. Help us to keep a strong perspective of reality and eternal life. And also, Lord, help us to pray and pray and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.